Check out award-winning Johnson & Boone Solicitor's unique product, Legal Guard. Ideal for businesses and individuals, Legal Guard ensures you get the legal help you need when you need it. Packages start from just £24 a month and include free expert advice, access to a library of legal documents, as well as exclusive discounts on a range of services. For more information, visit johnsonandboone.co.uk forward slash legal guard and quote the code FITCHESH. You're listening to Johnson & Boone Solicitors Podcast exclusively on the Pod Station. Welcome everyone to episode 22 of the Johnson & Boone Podcast. Now this week... We have a new face, and I say new face, it's an old new face, and that's that's meant to... <laughs> I've just realised how that sounds. Do you know what? I'm going to quickly introduce him before I dig myself into any bigger hole. It is it is the wonderful Chris Johnson of Johnson & Boom fame. How are we doing, Chris? Good, Mark. Thanks for the introduction. Very good. <laughs> well, obviously by older men, as in this isn't your first podcast, yeah. not to imply <laughs> that you are old, of course. Uh, well, there we go. We'll move. Worst thing said to me, Mark. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, let's move swiftly along, shall we? Before I get myself a lawsuit. If this is the first episode that you are listening to, just to give you an outline of what it is that we uh, we try and achieve in these shows. Every week, we decide a different topic that falls within the expertise of the Johnson and Boone team, and we try to pad that topic out. We go into some of the issues, some of the things that people might want to consider. Uh, if it might apply to them, to make them aware that there might be issues, if they have got themselves into some kind of problems, what they can perhaps do to help themselves, and failing which they can come and get some expert advice from the Johnson & Boone guys. We can't obviously do everything in massive detail, so it is usually just a cursory view. And we, we do invite you, the listeners, to send in any suggestions on topics or to ask any questions that you might have on the back of those shows. You can do that by sending an email to info at johnsonandboon.co.uk. Now, as we mentioned, uh, there's 21 other episodes that have been done. Uh, each one covers a different topic. So if you want to go back and listen to them, there's a whole raft of ways in which you can do that. First and foremost, you can download the Johnson & Boone app, which is free on both Apple and Android app stores. If you do that, there is a podcast tab there where you can check them all out and listen to them on your phone device. You can also do a whole host of other things on the mobile app, whether it be book appointments with the team, check out all of the services, or access the fabulous Legal Guard product, which we covered in the previous episode, so check that out. If you don't want to download the mobile app, you can check the show out on johnsonandboon.co.uk. There is a podcast tab there that has all the shows listed. It will You will also find links to all of the major podcast platforms, and it'll take you through there. If you subscribe, it means that whatever device you use will automatically download the latest episode when it drops. So it couldn't really be any easier. Um, if you want to check us out on social media, uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter and LinkedIn. 
so you can contact us on there if email doesn't suffice. So there's a whole plethora of options there for you, uh, plenty to make life easy and hopefully to get you guys to engage. And if you do like the show, give us a review on whichever uh, podcast user you choose as your preference. That'd be fantastic. Just gives a bit of extra exposure, so hopefully more people can see this show and get some help from it. So, Chris... Uh, having got all of that out of the way, uh, what topic are we going to be covering today? Um, we're just going to be talking about um, applications under the Licensing Act 2003 um, and how recent events of COVID um, have impacted on the way in which some licensees have had to uh, change the way that they trade in the sense of um, spend more time on off-sales rather than on sales and, and, and so just really in the problems that may cause. So it's really just an overview of the licensing act in relation to pubs, clubs, restaurants, and and then just some general issues that have come to light recently. Now, when we say licensing act, I, I suspect most people immediately realise that it's something that governs people who are selling alcohol of some description. Uh, you can't just set up. Uh, I don't know, a table outside your front door and start selling alcohol to Joe Public. So what is the purpose of the Act specifically? What 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 is it there to do? Um, well, in round about, I think it's two, the Licensing Act is 2003, but around about 2006, I think it was around about October time, uh, lots of people had the old um, liquor licences, but the Licensing Act came in and it was really just to provide some certainty into the regulation of how they were going to license premises moving forward. Lots of people were able to transfer their rights under what's called grandfather rights. And so what conditions they had at the time, they stood under the new, so there was no need to apply to get those conditions or them licensed at the time. But everybody since that date has had to follow the procedure if you're going to open a new restaurant that serves alcohol or a, a new pub or changes that. So what we do at Johnson Boone is basically um, provide advice in terms of if you need a, a personal license for a person who just wants to move into that area um, of business, or whether it's a premises license, or whether you want to appoint somebody to be your designated premises supervisor uh, on the premises. So we do all those applications. But the purpose of the Licensing Act was really to allow flexibility. Um, for, for pubs and clubs to operate in a different way that they used to. In the old days, when I certainly went out in, in, in the evenings, they, they'd all close at 2 o'clock. Now they're only going out at 2 o'clock, aren't they? So um, it's it's just the way the, 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 the areas change. But it was to provide flexibility for the nighttime economy and to give people the opportunity to uh, change the way they operate. So that was one of the reasons as a flexibility uh, to give more hours and, and to increase the the um, employment in those areas. So that was one of the reasons. I'll take your word for the closing times. I'm far too old and far too sensible to know those sorts of things. <laughs> but um, what kind of things do the licenses tend to determine for somebody? So if you get a license, you, you mentioned opening hours. What other things does it sort of, make clear that you can or can't do well i mean for example uh, it, it, one of the concerns when the licensing act came into force was that there was this um, supposed 24-hour culture 
where people would be drinking all day and falling out of premises drunk at all hours of the day and night. I mean, in reality, that's not true because people will go out, have a drink and then fall over and, and, and at different hours of the day, but they can't certainly drink 24 hours. And re in reality, very few people even apply for like an, a license that operates in that way. Um, but in terms of what the license does, the license sets out mandatory conditions that the licensee must comply with. Um, and that must be obviously, we must have a DPS on, on site to control the management of the pub or the restaurant while it's, while it's operating. And there'll be other issues that allow them to do other things. So for example, if, if it's a club, it may well say they've got to have some security on from nine o'clock at the weekends to two o'clock or three o'clock when they're opening. They, if they're going to have late night refreshment, they must serve it with food in, in, in terms of some conditions. It may well be that they're allowed off sales on, on the on the license. So it's an operating schedule which is annexed to the main license which sets out the hours. And the license is, is, um, is ordered in, in, in a sense to if he's going to operate to comply with those conditions. Okay, so... When you uh, when you make an application to get a license, what sort of things are they looking at? What kind of objectives are they trying to determine in deciding whether or not you should get one, and what those conditions of that license might be? Well, there's, there's a lot, in terms in terms of applying for the license, um, if if you're applying for the license, there's a set procedure that you need to follow. So, for example, you need to um, fill out the application form, set out who the licensee is, set out who's going to be the DPS on the premises, what hours you're um, planning to open. You'll need to provide a plan of the of the premises. Um, it will have to set out where all the fire appliances are on, on in, within the premises, all the safety issues. It will have to set out the hours and, and, and also mark out on the plan which part of the premises is going to be licensed to the general public and which isn't. And it will also um, set out with that um, an operating schedule of how you're going to comply with the licensing objectives, um, which are uh, prevention of crime and disorder, public nuisance, public safety and prevention of harm to children. So there, that's part of your operating schedule you have to complete that as part of your application so that they understand what the premises is going to be, what the layout of the premises is going to be, and how you're going to comply with some of these objectives. Uh, you mentioned the first one there of crime and disorder. How does that tie in in terms of prevention? What is it that they're expected to either consider or do? One of the things, obviously, um, the advantage of modern technology is that the CCTV uh, cameras so that's a safety issue so all pubs and clubs will have to have up-to-date standard uh, comply with the local authority standard for cctv um, and that will uh, and allow them to see who's you know if the police come in and ask to see the, see the footage they have to keep it for a period of 28 days or 30 days depending on what the authorities say that it can be viewed at any time if there's an incident in the pub or if there's a fight or if there's anything that goes off that's untoward, they can actually come back and view, review that footage and help them to actually um, apprehend the, the culprit in, in, thing, in, in situations like that. They can have door persons on which are, which are badged. They've all gone through a training program so that they can stop people coming in. Uh, they can have a, um, a policy of um, 
checking that there's anti-drugs policies. They can have a policy where they all, in the local area, they all combine to um, advise some people who's been banned. All of these things are people who are undesirables and are going to come and cause trouble and actually stop people from uh, enjoying themselves by, you know, whether it be by drugs or whether it be by the nature or whether the fact that they're carrying uh, um, weapons that they shouldn't be. All of these are, are issues in terms of whether somebody is going to be able to control the premises and actually comply with the crime disorder uh, provision. So the... They're responsible for putting in measures, really, to keep, to maintain some sort of order, make sure people are drinking sensibly, behaving properly, the local community and the like are, are kept relatively safe. Now, you mentioned the DPS previously. Now, I know what one of those is, um, largely because of your notes, thank you. But uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of, for the benefit of someone who might be listening to this, uh, what what do you mean by a, a DPS? Because that's kind of relevant to the things you've just mentioned there, really. Yeah, and basically, a designated it's called a designated premises supervisor, and he's essentially responsible for the compliance. So he's the first point of contact if one of the licensing authority are doing spot checks, and yeah, they'll go and ask for the the the, not the owner or the or the, the designated premises supervisor, and they're responsible for the day to day run of the premises to make sure that there are. Um, that, that the relevant things that they should be doing are in place, that the CCTV is working, that there's um, that there's, that there's um, Challenge 25 in relation to who's being allowed in the premises, there's, um, that there's public safety or there's no public nuisance issues, uh, and that other matters are being recorded in a way so that they're the first point of contact. So if there's any complaints, the police, the licensing police who will attend or if it's a noise or environment, they'll go and speak to that person, explain what the situation is, ask to see footage or ask to see recordings of um, whatever documentation they want to see, to see that it's up to date, ask to see the license. If, for example, they're trading beyond the licensed hours, they'll ask them to close, um, and then they'll be they'll ask for explanations. So they'll be the first point of contact in deciding whether or not how they're going to deal with the actual potential breach. So that's what a DPS is. He's essentially a manager, but he's the person who's nominated to be the manager on site um, or within uh, close proximity to the premises so that when somebody does ask to speak to them, they're available to deal with the issues. And who then assesses the DPS? Because if the DPS person, the designated person, is part and parcel of that business, there's obviously someone above them sort of externally who will need to keep tabs on whether they're complying with the rules and the licensing terms? Well, the DPS have to go through certain training as well to get the certificates to do that. But also, the, it, it, ultimately, it's the responsibility of the of the, of the licensee of the premises to comply because ultimately they're, they're the person who will affect if, if the DPS is not doing uh, his job properly. So, for example, if there's concerns about that, there, will be, there may well be a review of the premises and one of the options if you're reviewing the premises is to remove that DPS. And obviously, in, in so that they've got to put a new DPS in place simply because he's not doing what, what, what's required under the conditions of the license. But who, who is it the council who gives the license? And if so, is it yeah. are, are the council inspectors who will do spot checks on premises to check whether things are being done properly? Or is it just largely left to their own devices and if a problem accrues and they get reported that's when an, uh, an inspection might take place 
Well, the, 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 the first of all, the license is scrutinised as to whether they're going to give the license and in terms of what conditions and what hours. Then when the, if the license is granted, then they are subject to the conditions of the license. But thereafter, they, they will be subject to spot checks. So the licensing police or the licensing authorities will be going out at weekends and doing spot checks on premises. They will go in and they have various powers to actually go in and to actually close the premises on the night if that's what if that's what required. Um, but the person, in terms of how often they do that, it's there's no set pattern of when they're going to turn up or how they're going to turn up, but they do have the powers to actually um, close the premises if there's um, serious breaches of the license on or or there's serious concerns of public health or public safety um, on, on, on that night. So they are monitored. At the end, of, if they do turn up and they find that and they simply do not believe that the people who are running the premises are compliant, then it's up to them to put in a review. And then, the, then from that point of view, the licensee um, will be called to account for why the premises is not being run in accordance with the terms and conditions. So the licensing authority have the ultimate power. They appoint various different departments. So they'll have an environmental department. Uh, they'll have who deal with the noise and issues like that. They'll have public safety, for example, like there's COVID issues at the moment. And they'll have the police who are dealing with anti-social anti behaviour, um, drinking, underage drinking, all of those issues are um, offences that they will be dealt with. So it can be a number of different people who, who will be monitoring the licence. And of course, you can get complaints from general public as well. What is the criteria for needing to have to go and get a license? You mentioned about, is it the serving of alcohol or is it just the selling of alcohol or is it both? So if you, if you say, had a premises that was having an event and you were just serving alcohol as part and parcel of, you know, like the, the nibbles and the, the aperitifs as people come in, uh, would you need a license or is it just if you're selling alcohol? Um, if you if you if you if you're selling alcohol and you're running an event, even if it's only a temp, uh, you know, a weekend event that you don't do day in day out, you still need to apply for a tens, um, which is called this is a temporary event notice, um, and that you can get uh, a number of them per year, where you haven't actually got a premises license in place at the time, but you're you're granted one on the basis of the. Um, that you've submitted it and it's been considered by the police and the licensing authority and it's granted and you have to set out the purpose of it and why you're doing it and how many people are likely to be in attendance and, and that will that will be as separate to what the overall day-to-day uh, -day businesses who are running it um, day in day out which is obviously they, they're governed by the premises license and if people are sitting there now thinking hmm, I probably could do with getting a licence. Is this something that they can go and do themselves or do they need to come to a, a solicitor's firm like Johnson & Boone to get help with that process? Um, they don't They don't need to. They can do the process themselves. Uh, they can obviously fill in the application and get all of the documentation and they can liaise with the licensing department and um, they'll help them as much as they can to, to, to do the process. The difficulty arises when um, they they obviously have to advertise it. They need to know what the, the difficulty comes in terms of what are the objectives and how they're going to operate and comply with the licensing objectives. 
so they'll probably need some guidance on that. Um, but the, the biggest difficulty then comes as well if they get objections to the to the to the application, whether it be by um, one of the authorities, the police, or the um, environmental. They might be in an area where they don't agree that there should be a premises working overnight. Um, and then, or it might just be you know a, a number of local residents say that they don't they don't believe that there should be a premises there. The difficulty for them at that point is they're then going to automatically face a, a, a licensing hearing and they're going to have to go along there and represent themselves at that hearing or get somebody to represent them. And they're not easy hearings to deal with because they're facing various objections um, at those hearings that they have to be dealt with if they're going to um, be able to uh, convince people that they're going to be a responsible owner and a respectable business to have a license. So assuming you, you submitted the application yourself and assuming there are no objections, it, it's simply a paper exercise. Somebody within the licensing department will have a look at it and decide whether or not. But if there are any issues or concerns, then it gets it gets listed for a, a hearing. Are those hearing no, it, doesn't, it doesn't actually work like that. How it actually works is you do your application, you, do, you, you actually put in your plans with, with your application, you set out um, who's going to be running the business for you at the premises, and, and all of that's in a documentary form. But that all you also need to then advertise that in the local paper as to what the premises there's going to be an application in the town hall which can be considered. At that point, it's when it's when the, so the licensing committee or the licensing department will grant the license automatically if there's no objections within the 28-day period. But you, first of all, have to advertise it in the local paper to give the general public an opportunity to consider it. You also have to send it to the licensing department. You, you've circulated between all the departments. If they raise any objections, they have to do so within the 28-day period. And subject to there being no applications or objections, then, then, the, the, then the licensing department will grant the license. If, however, any of those departments or any of the general public raise uh, raise issues or complaints, then the licensing department, uh, the licensing department will uh, are, are automatically obliged to list it for a hearing. And it's at that point that when people haven't had legal representation, they're then sort of thinking, well, how do I how do I deal with these matters now? Because you're now going to face the people who are complaining about what why you shouldn't have it, and often the people aren't legally trained to deal with, um, particularly we're dealing with. Um, authorities from a local authority or the police officers or whatever, it's more difficult for them to, to challenge the issues that they raise as opposed to somebody who's legally trained who can. A couple of questions. If Do you find out what the objections or the complaints are in advance of the hearing so you can prepare? Yes, you get, after the 28-day period, uh, you'll you'll be given the uh, you'll be given notice of whether there's any objections, and if there's not, if there is, you'll be sent copies of the people who uh, objections, who and what and what type of objections that you're going to face, and obviously you can prepare for that. I mean, at the hearing there will be, it's not a court hearing the first one. It's it's a it's in a it's often in the town hall. It's often it's chaired by um, there's three councillors who normally um, chairing the licensing committee. Um, there'll be the borough solicitor um, and the borough officer there, but but, but essentially um, they they will you'll prepare for that to to convince them that you've you've seen the objections, you understand the concerns, 
you're going to put this in place or that in place, or you're going to monitor how you how you can demonstrate to the licensing officers that you are um, actually alleviating those problems and that you should be given the opportunity to to have a license. It has to be balanced, doesn't it, in terms of that. Um, I, I accept that people don't sometimes want to have a license, a new premises in in their area, or it, it you know it breaks up the status quo of. Um, there's another one, so there's a, why should we have another one? But it has to be balanced with um, the purpose of the Licensing Act was to increase the nighttime economy to provide jobs. A lot of people work part-time. A lot of people have part-time need two jobs. Um, and as long as it's monitored correctly and controlled properly by um, you know, landlords who comply with the, with the regulations, then that has to be balanced against the objections of why we've got to have this and why should we have this here? In other words, not in my garden. Um, but it's up to the licensing committee to be convinced that, that you are responsible that and you, you've had took it on board and then they'll make a decision whether or not they're going to grant it. They may often say, we're not going to grant it for what you're asking for in terms of the hours and they'll modify the hours they're going to let you open. But nonetheless, you, you know, you've still got a license at that point. It it sounds very much like this. The the hearing element is very is very much where you do need that legal support because if you don't understand what the rules require and what criteria you you need to meet, you don't really then know what evidence to collect together and what points to zone in on when trying to tackle these complaints because anyone like you said anyone can complain about not wanting it in their back garden but that doesn't necessarily mean that their argument their complaint is reasonable you just need to know what points you need to highlight to those councillors what evidence you need to introduce in order to address and effectively defeat those those complaints yeah as i said it's a balancing act isn't it I mean, everybody wants doesn't want to be kept up all night, and but at the same time, to balance an act in terms of pro providing employment, maintaining control, maintaining standards, um, and and actually alleviating people. Because for other people in that area, it might be a nice place to go and have a meal and a restaurant and a drink, or a nice pub to sit. And so it is a balancing act, and and it's just a question of preparing your case properly so that people understand that you are going to be a responsible landlord. And what happens if, in a worst case scenario, they hear your points at this hearing and then decide, no, you're not going to get a license? What happens then? Um, well, they can. That's the, the the licensing committee can ultimately say, well, we've we've listened to what's been said today, and we're not convinced that we should um, grant a license. Um, and therefore, you'll get a notice to say that you've been unsuccessful with your application. You'll then have um, a, a, a right to appeal, but the appeal won't be to them. The appeal will be to um, a magistrate's court, and the matter will then be decided essentially by a district judge, um, who will decide. Obviously, will be going over the over the issues again, um, and he'll decide whether or not ultimately you will get the license at that point or you won't. So that's your option. You do have a right to appeal. And one assumes if you haven't had legal assistance for the first hearing, it's even more strongly recommended for the appeal. Well, you can't. Hearing. You don't have a right of audience, do you? So you do. You do have to have somebody representing you, anyway. So obviously, um, even if you've had somebody representing you the first point, they understand it, it's not always 
um, possible to, to get the license, although in most cases you do get the license at the licensing committee stage, but you certainly need legal help if it's in, if it's in the magistrate's court. Now, at the time of recording this show, we are coming out of the end or certainly coming out of the back end of the lockdown for the COVID-19 pandemic. Most businesses uh, are open again and things are turned to the new normal, as people like to phrase it. How has this pandemic affected the licensing uh, process or the things that need to be considered or implemented? Because, of course, there's a couple of factors. The first is that many of these premises have been closed for a long period. You've got the issue of trying to stimulate the economy to get the momentum going again after the lockdown. And, of course, you've got the likes of social distancing, which probably isn't something, isn't a measure that was necessarily introduced when they first were given the licence. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for the licensing trade and I mean, retail and, and, and any sort of retailer, but in particular the licensing, because they were one of the latest to first to close and latest to start again. And they're still suffering, aren't they? I mean, they, you know, they're not working anywhere near pre-COVID capacity. The social distancing, they've got to comply with track and trace. Um, all of these are extra obligations upon them. And they're nowhere near at the volume that they were at firstly. But, but before that, they've been closed for over two months, two and a half months. And um, that's a massive impact on a lot of people, and especially independents as well, who like rely for their only income on it. Um, so that's one side of it where they've actually um, only just managed to get back. And so they're having to comply with, with, the, with the obligations, again, of public safety um, and, of, and all of the other three. And licensing objectives but what what has become relevant and we've been involved in a number of issues is that some of these licenses were able to continue selling alcohol because they have an off-site license as well as they're selling within the premises and um, so but that in itself has caused a number of different problems to them because they don't understand sometimes that what off-site sales means in relation to selling alcohol and the condition of the premises license. So what kind of problems are we talking about? When What do we mean by off-site? Are we talking literally just outside of the physical bricks and mortar of that premises? Well, when, you, when you're doing off-sales, I mean, people would assume that, that you um, are selling them, people are coming in. Um, what a lot of people don't understand with the license is that it's subject to, you're allowed to make off-sales um, but it's 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 subject to you being with the provision of food being provided at the time. So, uh, and a lot of people have not fully understood that as a, it's a condition or annex to their license. And so, because people pubs and clubs haven't been open, you know, and social media will finds that you can get a drink somewhere if you go along and get an off sale. People, there's been lots of instances. Unfortunately, there's been some in Liverpool which have been. Um, well documented where um, because Liverpool won the cup and there's a lot of people congregating in areas drinking alcohol and some licensees have also been selling alcohol um, and they've been subject to reviews because the, the argument is they're actually uh, contributing to some of these breaches of the um, four licensing objectives by, by doing so. Um, and you have to, again, explain to people 
that again they are you understand really they're trying to keep their business going and and obviously get as much turnover as they can but they have to understand it's also within the context of the license and so again they have to be clear that they're making the correct um reports on what they're doing the correct training and in other words they're supplying alcohol in um containers not glass contain not glass they're not allowing people to congregate outside the premises so you should be asking them to move on um, and all of these because otherwise if you if you don't comply with that and ask and, and sell in compliance with your alcohol license you'll have people congregating outside your premises and that's been happening um in different parts of especially with liverpool winning the the and the Premier League, and, and, and a number of number of premises have been under review because people gathering and people selling alcohol um, can, can actually mean that there's the social distancing arguments, there's the public safety arguments, the crime disorder, are they checking that people are the correct age when they're saving them alcohol? All of these things are um, issues that have happened because, because of off-sales across the, across the city. In essence, if people are having to adapt their business model to suit or deal with or address the COVID-19 challenges or the social distancing and public safety rules, in essence, what we're saying is you need to check what your licensing terms are because if you do something that falls outside of those rules or might come in breach of those rules, you could very well land yourself in trouble. So if you're selling alcohol outside of your premises and you're not entitled to do that, you could end up getting in trouble. If you're selling alcohol in the usual manner, but in circumstances which create a public issue, safety issue, like the Liverpool example you've given, then you might create those another issue for yourself for the licensing. So what kind of options might you have to try and make yourself compliant? What things can you do to address those sorts of issues? Well, I mean, obviously, it's, it's first of all, first and foremost, an understanding of your license and then the staff training. The people, just because people congregate outside your premises, that's not necessarily simply your fault of why that's happening. But obviously, you just need to understand that if you are saving alcohol as an off sale, check the conditions that you can do it firstly. Your license allows that. If it does, make sure that you're selling it in the container in, in the format that they allow, like plastic containers. Um, cups, whatever. Uh, it may well be that you can only sell it with the provision of food. So they may need to buy some street food or before they can sell it and ask them to move away from the premises, not congregate. And then you've done everything that you can to comply with that. If anybody comes into the premises and you don't believe, you know, you're not certain that they're 18 or, or even they don't look, the, the argument is they don't look under, look under 25, you, um, you can challenge them and make a log that you've challenged individuals. Um, you certainly shouldn't allow people to wait in the premises whilst they're waiting for um, takeaway food because that's obviously social distancing potential argument um, and obviously public safety. So you just need to understand that, um, you know, um, don't be don't be advertising that you're selling off sales um, if, if, if solely. Um, so it's just a different, it's just, a, it depends what your license says. It's all about training. It's all about monitoring so that you understand what your license says, how you comply with it. It's everything out there is not your not your fault. When it when it, but it obviously you need to minimise the, the impact on local residents, minimise the, the the impact of people congregating, ask them to move on, 
and don't encourage that in a way that that's that's in you know contrary to what the terms of your license are. Um, and if you keep records and things that you've done, then you've done what you then then you've done what you, it says you should be doing under the license. And what we advise people here is is obviously to do some training. Uh, we can actually prior to them so that they don't get into these sort of uh, disputes and obviously explain to them how they monitor, how they control things, how they document things so that if people do come along with a, with a spot check licensing, it's up to date. So to recap, if, if people are thinking that they might need a, a license, they can come and get some advice from you guys and you can help them with the application process. If they've had a go at doing it themselves and they're facing a hearing because someone's raised some objections or that hearing has been and gone and they're now having to appeal it to the magistrate's court, they can come and get some help from you guys. And if they're up and running uh, following the lockdown measures being eased and they just need that peace of mind that everything they are doing is compliant with the licensing terms, they can come get some advice from you guys. Yeah. I mean, whatever they need, I mean, obviously we can take them through the whole process. They make them jump in and out of what they need from us at certain times. But it's like everything else. If you, if you, prevention is better than cure in the sense of you've, you've already prevented the issues arising. You don't want to be going to the cost of going to these hearings because ultimately if you do go for review, I mean, there's a number of things that, that can happen and you're, you, you don't know what's going to happen until the day and what you're really going to face and how how it's presented. And, you know, the license can, you know, it can simply be that the license is modified and, you 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 know, your hours are changed. It could be that you're not allowed to sell alcohol, both internally or externally. It could be that they remove the DPS. And But there's more draconian steps that can happen, and that could be that you could be suspended from operating for three months. The ultimate, the ultimate sanction is they can remove your license in full, and so really just to have some basic advice and you know some basic training is probably better um, for these people, so that when they when when, they, when the licensing authority officials come along, they can see it's a well-run ship. Yeah, and if people do want to get in touch, how can they get hold of you? Um, well, they can obviously contact us. Um, in, in, in the normal way through our website, which is info at johnsonandboom.co.uk, or they can contact me directly at chris.johnson at johnsonandboom.uk. But obviously the normal the normal other operation through our, they can telephone us and book an appointment or through our app or, or our social media page. Fabulous. Well, I, I think we'll, we'll draw a line under it there for today. Um, it's... As we said before, get in touch if you've got any questions, telephone, email through the mobile app. Uh, check out some of the previous episodes because they may well give you certainly the previous episode which covered the Legal Guard products that Johnson & Boone offer, which actually uh, gives some good legal support to businesses, particularly these types of businesses, in helping address some of these issues, doesn't it, Chris? Yeah, I mean... It, 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 it's, it's essentially something that we're offering for people that we can uh, consult with them once a month with any issues. Uh, we can do um, certain types of documentation with them each month. And it's really a, a membership, which, which, which is a 12-month membership, but ultimately we're on hand to have consultations, do some training with you, and we're always there in the background to help you, as opposed to um, 
something that comes out the blue and, and, and you're just not prepared for and it costs you well more than it would be to, remember, to be a member of Legal Guard. So you can check that on the website. That's johnsonboon.co.uk forward slash Legal Guard. Check out the mobile app or listen to the previous episode when Rob and I went through in some good detail about all the different options and the benefits that go with it. Chris, thank you very much for joining us today. Do we know what we're going to be doing next time? Um, we're going to we're going to be doing um, a, an issue in relation to employment next week, um, and um, it may be unfair dismissal. Um, so that's our next planned podcast. And so I'm sure there's plenty of people who have those potential concerns in mind, whether it be an employer or an employee. Uh, so check that out. Uh, Chris, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been uh, another interesting show. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for your help. Get social at Johnson and Boone on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.